Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. I am your host, Edwin Adams, and I am excited to have someone back to the show from season one, episode 13, Johnny Otley. You know, if you have not heard episode 13 yet, you need to go check that out before you listen to this one, because that show is the highest rated show of season one on the podcast. So I encourage you to go check it out. Hundreds and hundreds of listens to that episode. I'm, I'm just so happy to have Johnny back to help me articulate to you what some of the anchors are that tend to hold us back from our peak performance. Johnny is an exceptional leader. He's a USA swim coach, an extreme athlete. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode as we discuss those, those anchors that tend to keep us inside the comfort zone. So stay tuned, get your pen and paper ready for Johnny Otley in episode 33 of season two. Johnny Otley, welcome back to episode 33 of the podcast, man. It's been a long time since episode 13, so uh, I thought 13 was my lucky number, but you know what? It's 33 right now, man. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I so much appreciate being here. It's an honor. So, Johnny, we talked uh, some amazing stories last time, and hundreds and hundreds of people have listened to those stories, and I've gotten tremendous feedback from the influence that you provided in the telling of your stories of transformation. And, you know, we can't repeat those. If, if you haven't heard them, you've got to go back to episode 13. Just stop this episode right now. Go back to 13. Be in awe of that episode and then then come listen to this one because we're going to talk about what you know kind of when we're recording this show it's the beginning of the year a lot of people are trying to make major massive change and transformations in their life but they're they're pulling on an anchor that is deep rooted in in several things and I really want to have a great conversation with you about that Johnny if that's okay that sounds incredible Sounds awesome. So Johnny, you know, my background, my background mantra really is to disrupt the comfort zone and you being a coach, I know you deal with that a lot when you're trying to move an athlete or really anyone from one level of performance to another there, you're the one that closes the gap between where they are and where they, where they want to be. And you can kind of identify some things that tend to keep people in sameness mm -hmm. and, and they become hazards to transformation. You, you want to start the discussion off maybe with, with your initial perspectives on that or theories or mantra, and then we can kind of dig into the, the nitty gritty if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's so true. You know, um, comfort zones are oftentimes they're secure, but at the same time, I don't think there's much growth inside comfort zones. It's, it's oftentimes important to step out of those, um, you know, situations where you're comfortable, you feel secure, you know, there's no risk and uh, step into the unknown and, you know, walk blindly with faith a little bit and, uh, you know, step out and take some risks. And through that, there is growth to be had and transformation to be had. And, you know, as a swim coach, you're so right. I tell my swimmers, you know, it, it takes a little bit of pain. It takes some sacrifice um, to grow and to improve and to reach those goals. 
Um, even, you know, on the physical level, you have to break down your muscles in order to grow them. And, uh, you know, nobody really likes, maybe some crazy people, but nobody really likes uh, coming in every single day and swimming for three hours, you know, two hours and busting your butt. Um, but in the end, it pays off on race day. So, well, except you, Johnny. You, I, I, I mean, looking at how you perform in the actual race, it's clear you've been glutton for punishment during the days that you really didn't want to go swim or go run or go hike or go lift, and you still do it anyway. So, that being said, um, the, the, there's a process people go through, maybe, um, because you mentioned two important words pain and sacrifice. I know when I bump my head against that, that terror barrier uh, uh, that, that holds me in my comfort zone, it unnerves me maybe a little bit and I hesitate. So why don't we start there with if, if growth is on the other side of the terror barrier, mm-hmm. what do we do when we bump our head against the, the pain and the sacrifice because it's uncomfortable and it, I, I feel like it taps on that reptilian nerve in our brain that says, whoa, stop, we're doing something wrong. Yes. So, you know, with comfort, it's, it's hard to break out of that. And, you know, if we bump our head on that barrier, um, sometimes it feels like we're going in the wrong direction. Um, but in reality, that's often a signal that we're going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing our limits and um, in return growing as individuals and I'll tell my swimmers and by now most of my swimmers that I've been coaching for a while um, you know know this by heart but I'll tell them um, be comfortable with being uncomfortable and it's it's more of a, a message that I have to share with the newer swimmers sometimes even like swim lessons I teach some adult swim lessons and sometimes the adults will come in and they feel like wow like this hurts or this feels really weird and if it, once they get that mindset where it's like, you know what, I'm okay with it being a little bit uncomfortable. I, I see them grow um, leaps and bounds and they, they start to get the technique down and stuff um, that they didn't before. Cause oftentimes naturally, I think that we just assume everything should be comfortable. You know, everything should be, um, you know, picture perfect. And when we develop a mindset where we're, okay with feeling a little bit of discomfort here, a little bit of, you know, uncertainty there and having faith and positivity, optimism through those, um, you know, journeys, then we come out on the other side um, much closer to our goals or exceeding our goals. Yeah, that that's really fair. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to some of the coaching client interactions I've had where, where that fear or discomfort has has caused someone to hesitate, there seems to be Johnny maybe a um, I guess it's the definition of what an emotion is um, that 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 maybe we've attached a feeling to a past experience that and that's our only frame of reference, right? I mean, if let uh, let's choose the new year adage that's going on right now. I I need to go on a diet. Okay. Let's pick that. Well, the only frame of reference I have is the past diets that I've been on and my experience through those. And if I've tried, you know, a hundred diets and I failed at every one of them, and I know that feeling, um, that, that, that came from those terrible experiences, I tend to carry that forward as my frame of context 
for the next experience. So that seems to me to be a need of disruption, if that's fair. Do you run into that as well? Yes, definitely. You know, um, I feel like one of the one of the best ways to break free from that um, is routine. Um, oftentimes, when I settle into a routine where I'm, you know, swimming every day or working out every day, even studying, you know, every day, um, it gets easier because I get used to feeling a little bit of that discomfort, and I also get used to the rewards that come come with that. Um, but if I take a couple weeks off or if, you know, I take, you know, Christmas break and then I go back to the gym, I'm like, man, I got to learn this mindset. It hurts again. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I got used to, you know, feeling comfortable. And, uh, and so it's not always easy. Um, but I, I have seen the joy in people's eyes when they realize, you know, you know, waking up in the mornings at 5 a.m. and coming to swim practice and as the weeks go on and you can see their physical, mental, um, you know, capacity and limits um, grow, I, 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 I witness, um, you know, they're, they're realizing that actually, you know, even though I'm sacrificing, this is good because I'm earning, you know, everything that I'm, you know, striving for. Yeah, that, that speaks journey to me, Johnny, that, that, that embrace, uh, CrossFitters would say embrace the suck because it's going to suck for a long time. It's really not about the goal. It's about the journey. And I've been very guilty uh, of this. I think it's a, a, a big mistake that I have consistently made over time is, is putting so much gravitas on the goal that when, when I'm trying to embrace the suck and it gets really hard and I I misstep or fall off, man, it is, I feel like the goal is now light years away that I have messed up so bad that, well, I can't even see the goal anymore. So might as well forget this journey thing. I've, I've, I've messed up and it's ruined and I quit. So as a coach, how do you help people see failure maybe as, as a partner and, a, and the greatest teacher that we have rather than, you know, the deterrent that prevents you from embracing the journey uh, ahead. Yeah, failure, <clears throat> you know, big picture. Failure is actually a really, really awesome thing. And I teach my swimmers that because everybody fails, whether you like it or not, even the greatest perfectionist will fail. And you'll gain lessons through failure that you never would have learned. And to me, life is all about learning because with learning comes growth. And you really sometimes need to make mistakes in order to learn lessons. And so, you know, viewing failure is not something that, you know, destroys you, but something that you can channel in your response to that failure, you can channel to take a couple steps forward um, is really a healthy mindset and an approach to life to have. And with my swimmers, the beautiful thing about routine is you'll spend six months working towards a goal. And then like you said, maybe you'll take some time off. Maybe you'll get a, you know, injury, something unexpected will come up and it will cause you to feel like you're, you know, taking some steps back. But I've, I've witnessed firsthand for years that if someone has put in the time and effort and they take some time off, 
it might feel like they lost, but in reality, it's so much easier to get back to where they were since they did put in that six months, that six years, that, you know, three years, whatever it may be towards that goal up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you have a setback, never view it as um, failure, you know, never view it as something that destroys you. View it as something that is inevitable and something that you can learn from and use to grow even more. Johnny, this is going to be a strange question. Um, so, so I apologize ahead of time, but I, I, I have found as a coach, it is very difficult for me to convey feelings to a client, uh, expected feelings of a client. And maybe I, I don't do that well enough that, okay, you've come to me as, as a guide through a transformational experience. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you clarify the, the endpoint, the outcome that you desire. We're going to deconstruct that into a plan and a process. And then I'm going to hold you accountable, doggone it. And that's, that's my value as a coach from, from the end result visioneering to the deconstruction and creation of the plan and then accountability. That's the trifecta of value that I feel like uh, I give as a coach, right? And then these feelings come in from, from the client while they're on this pathway. And I'm not sure if I'm paying well enough attention to the feelings that, the, that, that make the, the journey an individual one, if that makes sense. It's not like you can go to all your hundreds of swimmers and go, okay, everybody, this is the way we're doing everything. And here it is. Now go do it. And then I forget about the feelings of someone and wonder why they're struggling. So help, help me frame that into a context of some semblance of wisdom that I'm trying to portray here. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know, people aren't robots and uh, it would be really easy for a coach to assume that all of their you know, athletes or students or whatever it may be are robots and they all have the same struggles. They all have the same background. You know, they all have the same goals even, but you know, in reality, each individual has their own life that they've lived. They have their own struggles. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a, a family member was lost. Maybe it's an injury. Um, maybe it's an insecurity. And a good coach will look at their swimmers, students, um, and work with them on an individual level. Because if you get thrown into this group, um, even in education, you know, with teachers, if, if you get thrown into a system and uh, you're expected to act and behave and feel like everyone else around you, you lose a lot of your individuality and also a lot of your potential. Um, and so for me, you know, I'll see a swimmer, you know, sitting on the side of the pool and uh, maybe he's, he or she is stretching uh, their arm or, you know, they, they're maybe over there on the verge of tears. And rather than say, hey, you know, get back in the pool, um, you're fine. I'll try to get their perspective. Hey, what's, what's going on? You know, is there any way I can help you? Um, and approach it in a way, I'm here for you. How can I help you meet your goal? Um, and on the individual side, as a swimmer growing up, the coaches that did that were always the most effective coaches. They were my favorite coaches. And even now at 23 years old, I'll have memories from 10 years ago where a coach would, you know, understand my individual challenge and help me get from where I am 
to where I need to be rather than where the team is with me just as a little bitty piece here to where the team needs to be. And if you, if you focus on the individual, your team as a result will be much, much stronger. Oh, wow. Wow. So I, I'm thinking into that, Johnny, and, and is looking at the person sitting on the side of the pool, they're living, for lack of a better term, they're living a truth to them on the side of that pool, right? Absolutely. And it might be a little bit different than your truth, because uh, you're, you're standing outside looking in and your truth is that, well, he should get, get back in the pool and get get to work. I know what the potential of this individual is. And therefore he needs to get his butt back in the pool and do the work and yeah. everything is going to be fine. But he's sitting over there with this, this other truth that's, that, that is very real to him. And I think when we're talking thoughts and feelings and mistakes and regrets, I guess it begs the question, Johnny, is that truth? Are feelings truth? Oftentimes, and this is another thing that I would love to talk about later on, you know, feelings aren't always based on truth, but feelings can be very valid to the people feeling those feelings. And this extends, you know, past athletics, um, past teams and, and classes. This extends to individual relationships, you know, even, you know, in a workplace or at a family reunion, Thanksgiving, um, you know, viewing people's feelings rather than you know assuming the worst assuming well this person is acting this way simply because they want to make my day difficult understanding that very few people in the world actually want to make your life difficult they're acting the way they're acting because of the emotions that's happening inside them and so approaching you know relationships um, in that way in any situation you're in with that mindset of, you know what, this might not be easy, but I want to understand why you're saying these things, why you're feeling these things, why you're acting the way that you are, so that, you know, I can maybe on my part, support you better. And with that mindset, it's so freeing because you don't take offense as much. And this is something that I'm learning, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis and, uh, you know, eternally will be learning um, to the day I die. Um, but it's been it's been very helpful to me personally to approach life and relationships and coaching with that mindset of understanding different people's perspectives. So with that, Johnny, um, you have to be a good question asker, right? I mean, you need to be an interrogator in those scenarios. How how have you honed your skill of asking great questions that help? get to the root of the issue versus versus that superficial feeling that can be a little distracting and, and not, not speak to the truth, but get to the root? Um, I would say two things. I would say, number one, um, discover how and, and develop um, a genuine interest to understand the other person. And rather just going through the motions, rather than just going through the motions and asking questions, find it in your heart to actually be curious. Um, truly, why are they feeling the way they're feeling? And with that, it's much easier to ask the right types of questions that help you understand. Secondly, it takes a little bit of practice because if you've never really asked questions before, 
it can be a little bit, you know, almost like intimidating to, you know, I'm going to ask this person, this question, this question, this question. But if you go out there and you start practicing it and trying it, it gets a lot easier. And I remember years ago, one of my good friends, he was one of the most shy people um, that I ever have met. And he came over to our house and my dad being the coach that he is, this kid wanted to be like a, um, a coach when he grew up, he wanted to be a, a business coach and you know, inspiring guy. And my dad took it upon himself to mentor this, this kid. And he would say, you know what? I want you to go in the other room and I want you to ask Johnny, Tommy, um, my brother, my sister, Iris, and my mom, Marianne, um, three questions. And the guy, you know, he, he would go in there and it would be extremely uncomfortable, unbearable for him. And he was stretching his comfort zone so much, but he did it. And he would do that, you know, day in and day out. And he started to take that, you know, into his everyday life. And the more that he asked questions, the easier it got. Personally, I believe that it is a muscle. And just like any other muscle, you got to work out a little bit. Oh, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, one of my mentors once told me, Johnny, that if you listen well enough, God will give you the right question. Mm-hmm. So that that That's has been that. so helpful for me to, you know, what, 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 how does the phrase go? You have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as, twice as often as you speak. So if you listen yeah. carefully, the question is going to come to you. And I think that's, that's so magical that if you do care enough and to your point, have enough interest in the person that you're speaking with and want to invest in a connection mm-hmm. that you're going to be gifted the right question. Don't overthink it. Maybe it is, right. is the thing here. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. So, so I'm thinking again of, of the kid on the side of the pool that you're coaching. Um, it's probably easy. Well, I know it's easy in those circumstances because I've been that kid sitting on the side of the pool that I can validate my reasoning based on my immature um, thought pattern, maybe, and my immature truth. And I can make a significant excuse to not take action And the excuse is validated. I validated it. It is now my truth, but it is not a reality. So here we are again, talking about truth and reality, Johnny, and I'm trying to discern the difference between the two, because there are two people in this image, you and that kid. Right. And there's one, there's one reality and two truths or two two truths and four realities. I'm I'm getting mixed up in the math. It can be unlimited, honestly. It really can be. Um, Yeah, absolutely. You know, and oftentimes as individuals, it's it's important that we take responsibility for ourselves in that we prevent ourselves from entertaining thoughts and beliefs and feelings that aren't based in truth. Um, and to do that, it, 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 it is a muscle. It takes a lot of, you know, training and a lot of practice. But um, in, in doing that, we, we find freedom because when we start you know, understanding things that are true and, and are, you know, matter and focusing our energy on those things, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for things that, you know, can bring us down. 
Um, and for many years, you know, I was uh, paralyzed by focusing on things that don't matter and focusing on things that are not true, um, even that just aren't worth my time. And, uh, and that is so debilitating. Um, but something that catalyzed transformation um, in that area of my life was the Appalachian Trail. And, and the reason for that is, you know, I almost was providing myself before that um, season of life, I was providing myself the comfort and the luxury to think too much. And when you think too much, eventually you circle back to things that don't matter. And so, you know, it, it all ties into, you know, having, you know, taking action, um, making sure that you're thinking on things that truly matter. And the reason the Appalachian Trail was so beneficial to me was it knocked me into a different mindset because I had no choice but to think about things that actually matter rather than thinking about, you know, why did he say this or why did she do that? I started thinking about, you know, where am I going to find clean creek water to drink? Or <laughs> how am I going to stay warm during tonight's blizzard or thunderstorm? Or, you know, how am I going to stay away from bears in this, you know, area where there's two bears for every square mile? And, and you know, having to focus on things that actually matter, it, it created a realization for me that, you know, I don't need to focus on things that aren't true or that don't matter. And that was extremely transformational for me because even now um, when I go back and I'm not surrounded by, you know, wildlife and I'm not in, you know, a survival outdoor mode, um, even when I'm kind of back in that comfort zone, I still have such an appreciation for that mindset and how necessary it is to my mental health and my mental well-being. That, wow. Okay. My mind was spinning on that one, that one, Johnny. So let me deconstruct that a, a little more. And I, I'm relating it to um, the Stoic philosophy. Mm -hmm. So one of the Stoic challenges that I've been going through as part of my New Year's resolution, so to speak, is to go through 21 days of thinking like a Stoic would. Mm -hmm. And the, the Stoics like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus, um, all suggest that distraction, in order to become self-aware, you need to remove distractions from you. And I think uh, most of us carry around in our pockets the number one distraction instigator, uh, the best one there's ever been in the world. That's our, our cell phones, right? So the challenge today, believe it or not, was to put your phone in airplane mode for 24 hours and that. see how your vision goes from tomorrow and possibility and what if and when yeah. to what's important now. Yeah. And you're going to be really surprised by what you discover by being present. And I, hearing you talk about the Appalachian Trail and if y'all miss the context there, you've got to go listen to episode 13 and be amazed at the story of how Johnny got on the trail and off the trail. So anyway, I won't ruin that for anybody, but I think it speaks clearly to the, to the point here, Johnny, that we must become self-aware and the, the true path, I'll say true path to that, mm -hmm. is to be present and centered in something 
either it's spirituality, either it's breath work to, to calm the body and align the mind and the body or, or, or something else. But that, that's where my thoughts kind of went when you were talking about that. It's got to go from macro to micro, so to speak. I completely agree with you. And yeah, on the note of the cell phone um, analogy, it's, it's so true because I remember when I was living in Greece, um, I was living on this like pirate looking ship, massive sailing vessel, middle of the Mediterranean, you know, living this, these incredible adventures, studying to get my sailing license and working in refugee camps. And I had the luxury of having my cell phone, even in the midst of all that remoteness. And it, it was a, it was a crutch that I would fall back on. And, you know, I might be out with friends that I just met in, in town, or I might be, you know, sitting, you know, in the uh, below deck with other crew members and really nothing to talk about. So what do you do? Pull out your cell phone. Um, well, we had a group come in from England and uh, my um, day, the first day that they were there, I was going to take them swimming and snorkeling in the Mediterranean. And so there we are, you know, there's all these new friends um, from all over um, the UK. And the, I, I remember I've been swimming for maybe 45 minutes and I'm going like, you know, deep diving, maybe, you know, 20, 30 feet down. And I finally, I'm about to go back to shore and I'm like, is that something in my pocket? It was my cell phone. My cell phone was submerged in Mediterranean, you know, water for a good 30, 45 minutes. And I took it back and it, it is, you know, dead, dead, dead. There is no return. You know, I put it in rice, but there's no hope. And so it forced me for weeks after that, you know, I'd go out um, to some of the bars or some of the restaurants. And when things kind of get quiet and when things get maybe a little bit awkward or boring, um, my, my old habit was like reach for my cell phone and it wasn't there. And so it forced me to, rather than, you know, falling back on that crutch, that technology to, you know, be more aware of my surroundings and create more relationships. And I made, in that window of time where I had no cell phone, I made so many friends, probably more friends in that, you know, week or two period um, than any, any other time um, that I was there living in Greece. So I, I can attest to that specifically and personally that that is so true. Yeah, I, I, and thank you for saying that and, and being a, a little vulnerable there with an attachment. And I think a lot, of, a lot of our fears, our anxieties, our regrets are, are a, an attachment to something that, that keeps us comfortable. And the cell phone is, is certainly one of them. And look, I love my cell phone. I run a business out of my cell phone. So I can go anywhere and, and carry out what I do with this tiny device that I carry on my, in my pocket, but I justify it. I justify the fact that I have it and I cannot be unattached to it because therefore that would cause harm to my, my journey or, or, or that's inappropriate. That's not business smart. Well, you, you know what? I've, I find myself in social situations like in the dentist office, at the, at the barbershop, you know, when, when you walk in and you sit down and you're a little uncomfortable because you, your environment's disrupted, what do I do? I get comfortable by isolating myself in uh, with uh, showing my intention is on a device. Don't bother me. 
All right. And I miss, I know I miss so many opportunities to connect that way. So thank you for saying what's possible if you remove the distraction. Definitely. Absolutely. So Johnny, we talked about, uh, gosh, a lot of stuff. I, I started the show talking about anchors that, that hold people back. And I think we've covered a lot of stuff. How, how could we maybe sum that up into three thing, three of the biggest anchors that, that hold people back and any, any commentary that you would add to it? Yes, um, I would say the three greatest anchors um, that hold people back from reaching their full potential um, from my personal experience are one, dwelling on the past, you know, mistakes and regrets and guilt, making excuses that delay action or avoid action altogether. And number three, entertaining thoughts and feelings like we talked about that are not based in truth. And that first one, um, dwelling on the past, um, it's so important to understand that one because dwelling on the past is such a destructive and unhealthy mindset to be in. Um, you know, when we dwell on the past, we're actually living in a reality that no longer exists and we have no control over it. Um, and so for many years, I was, you know, paralyzed by that mindset. I would, I would be thinking, oh, I could have done this differently or I could have done that differently. Um, and it, it was very difficult to grow in that mindset. And uh, it was because I was being held captive by something that I couldn't change, um, the past. And so, uh, you know, my dad actually, um, he brought to my attention a phrase that has really helped me, completely transformed my life. And I remind myself this phrase sometimes every morning. Um, anytime a thought pops into my head that I'm like, you know what, Johnny, you're dwelling on the past. And that phrase is, so what? Now what? There's no going back, but you can go forward. So why not focus all of that time, energy, motivation, inspiration, passion, on something that you can actually change, which is the present, real time, what's happening right now. And you can also prepare for a successful future. What a great phrase. I mean, I think that speaks to everything. Uh, when, when the mistake happens and you say, so what, now what? It's, it's really hard to make excuses now um, because that keeps you from answering the second question, now what? So you, you have to move past excuses in order to answer now what? And same thing with thoughts and feelings not based on, on a truth. You must, you must dismantle that in order to answer the second question too. Wow, way to go, Father Otley. No, right? Yeah, he's helped me a lot. He's helped me a lot. I think we talked about last time, the three things that um, you know, a young man needs. Um, and you know, in doing so, having that mindset um, of, so what? Now what? It has helped me become more confident, more grounded, more assertive in a great way. Um, it has helped me come, me become more humble. And I feel like confidence and humility actually are connected um, very much so. They're not polar opposites like I used to think and many people think. Um, and it helped me become more present. I was actually, you know, in the now rather than in the past. 
And so it has very awesome um, results having that type of mindset where you let go of the past, learn from it, and apply those lessons in real time to what's going on right now. And in doing so, you can prepare for a successful future. Oh, I love that. So Johnny, I know the pandemic has forced a lot of people to sit with themselves for, for an uncomfortable period of time. And if it's one comment that I've heard consistently from people throughout the pandemic is not, not, not any, I don't mean to minimize any of the hardships that, that the pandemic has created for some people, but one common theme that I hear is that the most uncomfortable part of the whole pandemic was being by themselves for large spans of time. They don't have necessarily the work distraction of going into the office, driving to the office, or uh, shopping is now different, um, interactions with people and church services, you name it. You're alone more than you are with other people, and that's created a lot of anxiety and I think created a big question in people, now what? <laughs> and and they, they don't have a good context or enough evaluated experiences to help them move really out of that, that discomfort into a growth opportunity or to see yeah. it maybe as a different truth and a different reality that, wow, for the first time in my working career, I can stay at home. What what can that create? And instead of excitement over the possibility of what the new work environment looks like in the new normal, it is a a crushing oppression. Uh, Maybe that's too too powerful of a a word. What would you say? No, I absolutely agree. It's been a very, very difficult year for so many people for that reason. And it's, you know, I see memes on social media where, you know, I think it was early March, you know, school got, got canceled, work got canceled, people are jumping up and down party, and we're going to have a couple days off. You know, 10 months later, they're in a dark room, and they're alone. And it's like, wow, what, what, what actually matters? What, what's the meaning of life? This is, you know, painstaking. And so um, I, I completely recognize that as well, that that has been a insane challenge for so many people this year. I know a lot of people who have um, fallen into depression and anxiety uh, as a result of that isolation. As humans, we're, we're created to um, be around people and, and talk to people. And so at this point, after having you know, the whole year of you know, the virus and uh, in addition to that, all of the isolation um, and all the challenges that come from both of those, um, it's a question that a lot of people have now what? And I would be lying if I didn't say that personally, I believe the answer to this um, is centered around asking God. Um, Because there's so many times in my life where I was stranded, you know, hanging on this cliff, where my mental compass was going around in circles, there was no way I could figure out what to do. I didn't know my purpose, my identity, um, what direction I should go in. And I asked him, and he answered. And so when we ask, he truly, truly does answer. And I could tell you a million stories, million testimonies from my life um, about that. One, just briefly, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I had just moved back from Greece and I was going through a season where I was like, okay, 
what now? You know, I had all these amazing adventures, but how am I going to move forward and exceed those? You know, I feel like I'm kind of back to being normal in not a good way. And, uh, you know, kind of confused. And, uh, you know, I asked God, God, please, please help me. Please create more adventures. Please allow me the ability to travel. Please um, help me to find my identity again. And, you know, being vulnerable to him and, and telling him our, you know, greatest concerns or our greatest passions is so valuable. And I remember I said that prayer and I, I literally asked God, I was driving back from Niagara Falls with my sister and I was actually confiding in my sister as well. She said, Johnny, I think you should pray about that. So I said, okay, <laughs> um, you know, it's easy for you to say. And I, I, um, I prayed and I was like, God, please, please let me travel. I have friends all over the world. Um, I don't have the money to go see them. I would really, really, really love to do this. If it's your will, please make it happen. Five minutes later, my phone rings and I pick up the phone. Hello, it's my Aunt Mary. And she goes, uh, Johnny, I've been trying to get a hold of you. You were just on my heart. Um, how would you like free flights to anywhere in the world for the next couple of years? I literally, my mind is blown. I like pull over the car and my heart's beating. And I'm like, what did you just say? And she said, yeah, I feel like I'm supposed to extend some of my benefits to you. How does that sound to you? And I was like, Aunt Mary, you're an answer to prayer. And two weeks later, I had booked a world tour to several countries across several continents, New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, Greece, Germany, Romania, you know, France, England. And it was all God. Had I not asked, I wouldn't have received. And so I, I cannot take any credit for that. And to answer your question, I would definitely, definitely say that if you do feel a little bit lost, feel free to ask God about that because he will undoubtedly have an answer for you. Yeah, it's really hard for, for the big man to know what you want if you don't communicate with him in prayer it is the way to do that. Uh, that's a, such a beautiful story. I think I would have wrecked the car. <laughs> I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to pull it over. <laughs> so true. <laughs> incredible Johnny well look I know you're a spiritual guy and, and I am too and I've been kind of expanding my understanding of other uh, other means of spirituality that are that are in the world that influence people and create truth for them and the the Gita and Hinduism is is one that's really fascinating and the the beginning of the Gita talks about I don't know if it's the very beginning. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and look what page number that's on. But it reminded me that when people sit with themselves, I find I find that they find it's hard to identify what they value. Mm -hmm. That 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 maybe it's um maybe and you said this word as well, Johnny. I'm sorry, this is such a, a disconnected thought process, but you said so much wisdom there. I wrote down several key words, but I really appreciated how you talked about seasons. You use the word seasons to describe times in your life. And this is a particular season for all of us, uh, albeit we're experiencing it clearly differently. But in this season, I think we are compelled not only to communicate to our higher power, but to also 
identify what we value most. Is it family? Is it technology? Is it the past? Is it the future? Is it love? Is it faith? Is it honesty? Is it friendship? And man, the, the Gita is so beautiful about identifying higher values that take you, that are uplifting and take you probably into growth and in um, closer to God. And then there are the lower values that keep you anchored in, in, in comfort and despair and, and depression. If, yeah. if you don't mind my asking Johnny, just to, to maybe help people learn a little bit more about you. If I asked you, what are your top values? Would you be able to articulate those? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, my top value is something that I sometimes uh, fall short on and I, I stray away from. But deep down inside, I strive to have my top value as my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus. Um, underneath that is, is family. Um, I very much value family. And after that is adventure, travel, you know, experiences, learning, um, uh, running crazy races, you know, swimming. Um, so those would be my three. Those are what I find the most fulfillment with is God, family, and adventure. It, it seems like with those three, Johnny, that an anchor has no chance of sticking. It's so uh, th that you could pull anything uh, with the guidance of those three values. And, and nice. clearly they have shaped who you are as a leader today and, and the outcome of this, these higher values of yours providing you freedom. I think I, I, I can't help but see it in the way you smile and the way you, you navigate the world. Uh, I, I, I probably could have named those three values. It's that clear. And I think anyone listening, if you really get clear on these uplifting values, you can't be anchored anywhere. You, you float. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really feel like when I have my values and my mindset and my, you know, um, really my core values um, grounded and in the right place, I feel like I'm on, under an umbrella of protect, protection in a way. And like you said, I, I feel untouchable to negativity, but I am a human and I am very, very imperfect. And so I stray from those values. Things look great over here. Things look great over there. And when I do that, I have to recenter myself. And so you're absolutely right that when I do have those priorities in line, even if I'm extremely uncomfortable externally, I can still find fulfillment in my identity, but it's, it's sometimes easier said than done. And it takes um, uh, a lot of commitment and uh, recentering because there's been several circumstances where I've strayed um, away from those values. Um, so I, I so much appreciate you saying that. And uh, I agree with you when, when those values are, you know, at the center, then you know, we as individuals become untouchable to those negative feelings and thoughts that just tear us down. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, I think this is a common theme we're going to hear a lot, or at least I know you, your dad and I will, as part of the John Maxwell team, John 
firmly believes that the way we change our world is by identifying our values first, because that is truth. We've talked a lot about truth and reality and perception, but he, uh, John looks at our country and goes, we've, we've lost our values. Therefore, no wonder it seems to be a struggle to get where we want to go as a country because we're anchored in all this other stuff <laughs> that is not Im important. It's not centering. It's not now. It's past. It's future. And, and, and we're losing the ability to make strides because we're, nobody's in the now. And, and, and I, I just love what you do in the world, Johnny, because you change the world, your world, through your influence of people you serve. And I think that's exactly what we have to scale in, in order to truly change all of our world. This, this one collective little beautiful globe that we live on, the way we do it is by following leaders like you who are centered in values and act in act from that platform of higher value in order to be the highest value contribution to the people you serve. And, and man, other people, other people around you, Johnny, are then empowered to go do the same and pay it forward. I think, I think you're setting a great example, my friend. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ed. And I, I feel the same way about you. Um, you, you have been an inspiration to me, so I appreciate you so much. Um, and, and on that note, when you talked about, you know, our country even and how it's a little bit uncentered, one of the greatest, in addition to this, these three things, um, you know, um, their anchors holding people back, a bonus, something to kind of bring forward is finding something that pulls us forward. And if you can't find it, I would ask God, I really would but really searching for that. And when he brings that into your life, running with it. And for me, I've had several um, seasons of life and several different passions that have really pulled me through those seasons. One um, was the Transylvania race. And just the understanding that, you know, after I finish this race, I am going to be so filled with accomplishment and cherish these memories for the rest of my life. Those types of things have motivated me to push forward through those, those mornings where I don't really feel like waking up or, you know, through those days where I feel like what's, what's really going on, what really matters. And if you keep it all in perspective and run towards those things that you're passionate about, it makes the journey so much easier, so much more beautiful and so much more enjoyable. Amen. And you need to sit with yourself and be uncomfortable with it. It's okay to be uncomfortable uh, uh, with yourself while you identify these values that will point you toward purpose and passion. I know we've talked before about the number of people who seem to be lost or, or uh, discerning purpose and passion so much, but it really begins with, with value identification, Johnny. So I, I'm, I'm glad you help center us on the proper way to start is to ask the right question to the right person. Uh, prayerfully. So well done, my friend. Well, look, Johnny, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, any, any major accomplishments coming for you in 2021 along this relentless pursuit of awesomeness that clearly you're on? What, 
what can I hold you accountable to in 2021? Other than that oh. album that, that's got to be coming out. Oh, anyway. true. Yeah, and please, yeah, I need to get that going. Um, thank you so much, Ed. Um, well, in 2021, I am so, so excited. Um, this year will be an exciting year for many reasons. One is I'm graduating with my bachelor's and starting my master's. So thank you, God, for that. And secondly, um, uh, one of my very good friends in Switzerland is getting married. And so I plan on flying over there and uh, celebrating with, with them. And also in October, uh, this will probably be the greatest adventure yet. I'll be flying to Jordan to run a 250 kilometer race through the Wadi Rum Desert um, over the course of five days. So I'll be running past Petra, I'll be sleeping in tents with the Bedouin tribes and it will be insane. Very brutal, very painful, but worth it. So that happens early October. Well, see, you're going to have to be a trifecta on this show then, Johnny, because after, after that, I can't imagine the amount of wisdom that you will be able to impart on us after a 250 kilometer race through the desert. I take your sunscreen and I need to take your temperature. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> Man, you should come with me. <laughs> uh, um, in the air conditioned backup truck. Yes, I'll be happy. <laughs> that would be too much of a disruption of my comfort zone, my friend. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Well, Johnny, thanks again for your time, my man. Every time you come on this show, the, the, the connection increases for me, and I'm just so excited for, for the leadership that you personify in this world. And um, I'm, I'm excited for the journey ahead. You it's, it's amazing how you embrace the journey and not the outcome. And the journey is what's so captivating about you. So thank you for teaching us the way by not only uh, going the way, but showing us the way as well. So my friend, thanks for being back on the show. This was fantastic. Thank you so much, Ed. God bless you, man. You're an inspiration to me and a blessing to everybody who knows you. So much appreciated. Thank you, my friend. Bless you, brother. And thank you, the listeners, for listening to yet one other, one more incredible story from the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Peace out.